everybody. It's the Farm and Garden Show. I am your host, Elizabeth Archer. So nice to be back with you again on July 7th, 2022. A lot of people in 2007 got married on this day, 777. So for all of you celebrating your uh, 15th wedding anniversary, happy anniversary. Um, so nice to be with you all on this pleasantly cool July day. I took a walk at 1 p.m. Um, and I'm just really enjoying the weather. I'm sure everyone else is too. I am very excited to bring you um, another great conversation today on the Farm and Garden Show. My guest is Sarah Grusky of Green Uprising Farm in Willits. Sarah works the five-acre farm with her husband, Michael, stepdaughter, Allegra, two grandchildren, and three other adults who live and work together in an intentional community. The farm incorporates permaculture, biodynamic, biointensive, and regenerative principles. So all the greatest hits. <laughs> uh, Green Uprising Farm includes vegetable gardens, a medicinal herb garden, a small goat herd, apple, pear, plum, and walnut orchards, and a few small vineyards all on five acres. Wow. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. It's great to be here, Elizabeth. I know that you have farmer's market today and that you were just in the field moments ago preparing. So <laughs> thank you for switching gears to join me today. Oh, you're very welcome. I actually wasn't in the field. I was I was packing duck eggs inside. Nice duck and cool. eggs. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even know you had ducks. So we're going to add that to our conversation for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a kind of new thing. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah. I know you're not from Willits originally. So if you could just give me and the listeners a quick rundown of your family history and how y'all ended up in Willits, that'd be great. About 15 years ago, right? That's right. Uh, yes. So we are Californians originally, um, but uh, spent 25 years uh, in Washington, D.C. or on the East Coast. Um, my husband and I were uh, 50 and 60 years old when we came to Willits, and that was 2007. We bought this place um, in 2004. It was at that time... Um, uh, one of Michael's daughters was living here with her husband and kids. Um, so it was in the family since 2004. Uh, we were really ready to escape Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's very um, different. <laughs> very different. <laughs> Just to put it in some historic context, um, we, uh, Michael and I, were in and out of academia. We were doing nonprofit um, work, uh, activist work, advocacy work on all kinds of issues. Um, so basically bumping our heads up against a lot of uh, brick walls. Um, 2001, just to put a little historical context, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, really affected Washington, D.C. and everybody. Um, we were facing the realities of climate change more and more. We were looking at the realities of, you know, endless growth can't keep happening and uh we're bumping up against you know resource lacks fossil fuels um aren't going to be available there were just all kinds of things that made us uh very aware that uh um it was time for us to look at a different way of living um 
and uh, and so we we sold our house and um, picked up our 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 lives. Our kids were around eleven and and fourteen at the time, uh, and uh, bought the bought this place in two thousand four. Arrived in two thousand seven, and our lives were completely different from that point onward. We were urban people. We were uh, um, academics and social activists, and we landed here in Willits, not really knowing what was going to happen. At that time, the Willits economic localization was happening here, so there was a lot of a lot of focus on sustainability and uh, local food. Um, we were really interested in all of those topics, obviously, um, uh, but uh, we didn't know how to cut firewood we didn't know about <laughs> burning stoves we didn't know uh you know much about country life at all so it was a steep learning curve um and has been just uh wonderful and amazing in most ways but also you know harsh in other ways well, well, well. i mean ooh, we have kind of a funny echo hmm there Oh, it's gone. Okay, hopefully that stays away. Yeah, farming is not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Um, so you do tons of things on a really small plot of land. I mean, five acres is not really small, but it is for all the things you have going on. Um, what are you specifically responsible for on the farm? Uh, at this moment, I primarily uh, tend to our dairy goats, um, work in our medicinal herb garden, uh, work on our, uh, what I call the Native American cornucopia, which are the, the high caloric um, uh, beans, corn, squash. Uh, the three sisters. The three sisters. It's been, you know, other, other crops over the years. That's what we're doing this year. Oops, Sarah, all of a sudden your microphone got really quiet. Huh. Oh, there you go. Um, oh, we're just going to have one of those days with connectivity problems, maybe. Oh, I am sorry about that. I'm yeah. I'm just sitting here. Uh, uh, the computer's not moving, so that's okay. That's uh, better. That's better. Ooh. I just hope that it. You know, oh, Sarah, we got some we got some problems today. Are you hearing that echo at all? I hear nothing. You hear no. nothing, huh? I mean, nothing but but good things. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you keep talking because the problem seems to be on my end, and I'm going to text a producer and see what thoughts they have. Um, anyway, you were saying you work in the herb garden. You do the Three Sisters Cornucopia. I know you also do the goats, right? And you manage the fruit trees and the grapes? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and also uh, a lot of the sort of keeping the, the community... Yeah. Other, <laughs> but more on the laps of that emotional um, labor. Don't I know? Yeah, let's jump right into that. You live on a multi generational farm in an intentional community. I'm sure there are a lot of complexities in in both of those things them simultaneously. So. What is it like living and working together? What structures do you have in place to deal with conflict? Um, yeah, I'm I'm just so curious how you make it work. Yeah, I am now uh, having a little trouble hearing you, uh, but I, I think I got that question. Um, 
Yeah, so how, how does a, an intentional community at Family Farm work together? Um, I think that that the there's obviously been a lot of bumps along the road. Um, the main thing is we try to create opportunities for us to keep talking to each other, forums where we can meet, uh, a community dinner once a week, um, working together on, on group projects. Yeah, we have work days where different collections of us work together, other projects we work on individually. Um, uh, so I think the, you know, it, it just helps to, to, to have a lot of uh, opportunities to interact um, with each other and to work cooperatively and collaboratively on projects. And what happens uh, when, when conflict does come up? Um, well, uh, conflict can come to a community Sunday potluck um, to be discussed, or it can be a person can bring it to another individual, um, you know, and talk about it privately and, and you know, try to develop a, a, a plan for how to address it. Um, so there's there's multiple multiple possibilities on you know whether whether the person um, who has the issue wants to deal with it more in a group setting or deal with it privately um, to start off with 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 a particular person um, yeah I think our biggest problems in terms of of community have happened when yeah when networks of communication have broken down um, so as long as we can keep ourselves talking to each other, uh, it, it, there's opportunities to, to try to understand what's going on. So in the many years you've been there, have you ever had to ask anyone to leave? <laughs> give me the, uh, give me the dirt, Sarah. <laughs> You're going right for the dirt. Um, I guess that's happened twice. Um, uh, which is not bad, I guess, for, for 15 years. But yes, twice we've had to ask people to leave. Um, and, uh, and that's always a really hard, it's, it's a hard place to get to. Um, we do tend to give people lots of opportunities um, to work it out. Sometimes uh, too many opportunities, I think. We kind of err on, on that side of things um, and, and uh, not always nipping things in the bud. Um, but it has happened twice, and um, uh, and it's it's a really tough tough way to go. On the flip side, I have to say that we've been enormously lucky in all of the amazing people that have come through this farm. Oftentimes, when I reflect on the last fifteen years, I I find the richest part of the experience in many ways has been having all of these people from different parts of the world from different histories, different ages, different cultures um, coming and uh, just sort of opening their hearts to, to, to working with us on this piece of land. Um, so I am just tremendously grateful for uh, all of the people that have come through. And uh, we have this, this uh, notebook where people write, you know, as they're leaving sort of their reflections on the experience and, and I, I look through that notebook and and uh, think about how you know every person who's come here has has brought a gift. Um, every person who's come here has has uh, oftentimes left a mess. 
right? Um, and, uh, and every person I like to think that's come here has, uh, has walked away with um, something new and special um, that they've learned and taken from this experience. Um, so, uh, you know, the people part of it has been truly amazing. Um, although I have to also say it's probably been the, the most, in some ways, you know, people are, are more complicated than plants and animals, even though we are animals, I guess. But people are very complicated <laughs> animals. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and working with plants um, in some ways can be more meditative and um, uh, uh, more healing uh, in some ways. Um, uh, but, but the mix is, is great. Uh, the mix of, of plant, animal, and people uh, together on the farm has been great. Well, and it's interesting because you're creating a community and in many, way, many ways it's a cooperative endeavor. But, you know, you and Michael own the farm. So there's, there's certainly a little bit of a hierarchy there and people who get into farming, certainly in Mendocino County of all places, don't tend to like a lot of authority. So yeah, I could imagine, <laughs> I could imagine you find yourself in tricky situations every now and then. Um, I am curious because you mentioned your ages at the top of the show um, about your sort of like succession plan for the farm. Yeah, we have no succession plan. Um, so, oh, okay. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah, we have no succession plan. And I think like a lot of people, you know, the years just keep going by and it's really difficult to grapple with um, aging as a farmer um, all of a sudden. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm seven, I'm 66, Michael 76. And slowly you can't do the things physically that you were able to do before. That's hard to sort of come to terms with. Um and obviously no one wants to or or we'll have trouble, you know, grappling with uh, our mortality. Um, so we don't really have a succession plan. We're, 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 we're you know, wanting to reach out and, and uh, uh, figure that out or maybe, you know, uh, turn inward and figure that out. I'm not sure. Um, but we'd, we'd like to explore. We've thought about land trusts. We've thought about, yeah. Um, you know, leasing pieces of the farm to people for certain projects. Uh, um, you know, we've thought that uh, one of our kids, you know, might take it over or, you know, who knows? But none of that has actually happened. <laughs> so it, it's sort of a hope and a prayer at this point that it'll all work out. Well, I think we want to do some planning on it. We want to get beyond the hope and the prayer, but that, yeah, it's to date. We we just haven't really begun to grapple with it. Um, uh, and and I guess what I've seen is it's so you know one of the things about farming that uh, is both wonderful and complicated is that I I think that we we all tend to because it's so much time and work. Um, that you get ego invested in, you know, well, I've spent, you know, 10 years on this garden or 20 or however many, and, and, you know, I've made it into, you know, sort of a reflection of my own being and self. 
And so it's hard to let go. And it's hard to say, well, someone else might just do it differently. You know, (laughs) (laughs) how dare they? Don't they know you know best? That's right. So, you know, that's sort of what I've seen about the difficulty with succession plans is, is, is becoming unattached to something that you've put, you know, a lot of your life energy into. Well, and um, on a farm, there's always something pressing that requires and demands your energy, especially if you have animals. And, you know, long-term planning, estate planning, writing a will, it's not urgent until it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so true, so true. Yeah, so I think we've we've set all of those things aside um because yeah there's always um another succession to plant and always you know goats to milk always yeah you know markets to harvest for and all the rest of it but um yeah i i i think yeah we could definitely benefit it'd be great to to uh meet with other farmers in our age bracket who have addressed these things and and uh and I know there's there are uh, you know succession planning workshops out there, but yeah, we haven't done any of that yet. Um, well, maybe this will be your impetus. This yes, very, you know, this public, public conversation. That's right. I've gone public with it. Well, um, I read <laughs> I read something pretty startling the other day, and I'm not going to remember the exact percentage, but it was something like well over fifty percent of people don't have wills and. Um, if you have any sort of, you know, investment or a piece of property or children, um, it, it's you. People aren't going to know what you wanted after you're gone. So the mm-hmm. pretty much the instant our daughter was born, my husband and I got a will in place, and it just gives a lot of peace in, of mind. So anyone listening who doesn't have a will, they're really easy to put together. You can do it yourself. You can hire a lawyer. Um, and then you know that the things you want to happen when you're gone are much more likely to happen. So I'll check in with you in a couple months, Sarah, and see what kind of progress you have. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, indeed. If, if you're just joining us, this is the Farm and Garden Show. I'm Elizabeth Archer. My guest today is Sarah Grusky. You know, Sarah, I know you and I know your name, but I woke up in a cold sweat last night wondering, is your last name actually pronounced Grusky? Oh, well, um... It is a um, Polish Jewish name. Actually, the village that my um, ancestors come from is now in Belarus. Um, if you want to pronounce it um, in the original way, it is Gruski, indeed. Okay, um, Gruski. probably. Sarah Gruski of Green Uprising Farm in Willits. Sarah and her family and some other folks farm five acres. And you do an awful lot up there. And I want to ask you next about your goats. How big is your goat herd? Our goat herd right now is um, four mamas. Uh, We had nine kids in the spring. Uh, Five of them are up uh, at my daughter's and and mixed farm in Laytonville. And we still have four of the kids here. The size of the herd has been, you know, anything from 20 to two in the course of the last 15 years. Wow, quite a swing. Yeah, we swing all around. In the course of that, you know, we're trying to find the balance of our, you know, what our land um, can carry, what we can carry. Uh, 
you know, and, and it, it varies from season to season. For example, this season, because of our late rains, you know, following the drought, there's so much out there right now for the, the goats to eat. They're just in total and complete heaven, exact opposite from last year. Um, so, yeah, we, we try as much as possible to have our goats eat wild. Um, we do supplement um, with some alfalfa and grain, um, but yeah. Uh, there's so much, um, you know, from blackberry to oak to our summer uh, fruit tree cuttings. Um, and then, you know, other people in our farm community bring by cuttings for goats periodically. I, had, I read a while back that in a lot of um, small towns in Greece, uh, and I think in Germany as well and other places, you know, each sort of neighborhood has, a, has, has goats and um and everyone's invested in keeping them fed uh, and well cared for um, and in their production because the, the milk is also and the cheese or whatever is, is also shared. Interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and how do you always, share your goat products? Do you sell any of them? Is it just for family on farm consumption? Do you harvest any of the animals for meat? Uh, so... Laws in California are very complex. Yes, they are. <laughs> if you go to Oregon, you know, just uh, a couple hundred miles north of here, um, uh, you can sell uh, raw goat milk uh, on farm sales. So you'll drive country roads and there'll be little signs um, at the end of people's roads, just like we have eggs, you know, here you can sell milk. Um, California is uh, one of the biggest dairy states in the union. So the Western Dairymen's Association is strong um, in order to be a, a commercial dairy. Uh, the scale, uh, it, you know, the regulations are set for a scale that uh, is not conducive for a small family farm like us. It would probably cost us somewhere between a quarter and a half a million dollars to meet those regulations, which just wow. doesn't make sense wow. for four or five yeah. minutes, right? <laughs> I, I think- a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed someone who has a small goat co-op on the coast, and he told us that under California state law, you can sell raw goat's milk as pet food. Have you are you aware of that little yes, wink, wink loophole? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Pet food, um, and uh, in some states, the uh, it's required that you dye it green. What? <laughs> Why? Um, well, it's all has to do with, with, uh, you know, making sure that, that, uh, that milk is actually used for pets. Um, cause humans uh, won't drink green dyed milk. I certainly would if it was delicious raw goat milk. Well, I'll take a little green food dye hit for that. <laughs> would you? I mean, um, I eat red licorice, so I'm not really the right person to talk about the ingesting yeah. of food dye. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's there's nice, you know, things that you can use to make a green dye. I mean, you know, some nettle tea or something. Yeah, absolutely. Green dye. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so it's it's the, the dairy um, situation is far from ideal here in California. Hopefully down the road in order to really have a, uh, a local food movement, we need to have uh you know, our local, our small local farmers being able to do meat, being able to do dairy. These are, you know, high caloric foods and the, the way the, the local food 
regulatory framework is right now, it's it's way easier to do fruits and vegetables than it is to do meat and dairy. And we really need to change that, I think, to have a sustainable local food movement. But it's uh, it's been tough here in California. And um, why do you think that is? Do you think it's like big ag, like the big um, dairies absolutely. lobbying for that under the guise of sort of health concerns or? Absolutely. I mean, we... Um, We've had, in the course of our dairy experience here, we've had three um, cease and desist orders from the California Department of Food and Agriculture. Um, and we worked with, after the first one, there was quite a, a, a movement around the state uh, to change um, uh, dairy laws. And the, the CDFA just had a new director, and she... Uh, set up what was called the um uh what was it called it was a uh working group the small dairy working group and so various people who had also gotten cease and desist orders like us um uh and the public health department people and other regulatory people in the western dairymen's association were all part of this um, small herd working group um set up by the cdfa to design legislation to make it possible for small family farms to do dairy. And so we did, you know, we we haggled for oh, more than a year or two. We went back and forth to Sacramento with a lot of other uh, folks to try to design some legislation for small family farms doing dairy. Um, finally came to agreement with a, um, the health department people and CDFA. Um, no one got exactly what they wanted, but we, you know, put something together. Uh, but it never got out twice. It went to the ad committee, uh, never got out of the ad committee, um, and eventually just sort of died. And why, so, do you think it, why do you think it never made it out of committee? Uh, because of big, big ag interests, big dairy interests. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's, that's the story. Um, and uh, uh, I don't know, you know, if you look uh there's a variety of different organizations um, that have worked on this issue, and um, uh, and I think now there's 14 states that have on-farm uh, uh, raw dairy sales that are legal, um, Colorado, Oregon, um, but none of the big dairy states. So Texas, uh, big dairy state, um, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, comes to mind. So you can kind of guess which ones are, are, are so why did you get that cease and desist in the first place like who was reporting on it was someone reporting on it i mean how did they even become aware that that you were selling yeah we've always been very very small and and yeah uh, you know not not very visible um uh so i don't exactly know i think you know there's been some some uh, cases in those three season desist orders where uh, where local people have reported us, but um, but I've never been exactly sure uh, how how that's come to pass. Um, and you know, CDFA is is not really very interested in uh, uh, at this point in in enforcing. Um, uh, you know, these uh, regulations on small family farms, uh, but they're required if uh, if there's a complaint, um, you know, to 
to follow through on that. So it, it would have been a, a complaint. CDFA based. is not initiated. Yeah. CDFA is not initiated. And CDFA is California Department of Food and Agriculture. For, Correct. For folks who yeah. don't know. Um, well, that is a real shame. And thanks for trying to fight the good fight on behalf of small dairy farms everywhere um let's talk about something that's maybe a little less controversial than raw milk although possibly not maybe you have some stories <laughs> um, you uh run the medicinal herb garden that you have on farm i'd love to know what you grow in there and also tell us a little bit about the project you're working with the mendocino county herb guild on and is there any controversy in, you know, homemade, homegrown medicines? Big Pharma is not to be messed with. Um, well, let's start with your first question. I, I um, am always amazed at what a wealth of knowledge uh, uh, we have here in Mendocino County um, among local herbalists and what a wealth of local medicinals uh, grow here in our sort of diverse uh, microclimate, full um, uh, uh, California ecosystem. Um, so there's just so many medicinals out there and so many in a long history of, uh, of herbalists in our area. Um, on our farm, I think one day I, I, I counted, I think this was last year, sort of in this time of year and in, you know, our July glory, um, you know, something like 45 medicinals. Um, wow. Yeah, just on our farm here. And it's a range, you know, some of the medicinals are things that we actually seed and plant. Other things are things that uh, grow pretty wild. And a whole range of things are kind of in between. You know, take burdock, for example. I've thrown out some seeds in different places for burdock. But um, burdock never wanted to grow where I seeded it. Um, and eventually it found its spot. We have this burdock forest. Actually, I'm looking at the window at it right now in what we call our kitchen garden. That's where the burdock decided to be. I, you know, burdock is a, is a taproot um, disturbed soil plant. Um, and it pulls up a lot of minerals with that taproot. It's a great, amazing, wonderful plant. Um, uh, but it, you know, it, it didn't, yeah, you see it by the side of the road and in, in ditches, all kinds of places. Um, it, it never wanted to, to, to sit in a row and, and, it, ha and it has a mind of its own. And what do you use burdock for? Um, well, in, in Japan, it's called gobi. It's a root that uh, is in a lot of soups. Um, it's very, uh, good for the digestive system. It has a lot of what's called inulin in it. Inulin is a is a prebiotic. Prebiotics are what um, all those probiotic critters eat. Um, so if you want to feed your 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 um, digestive microbiome, if you want to feed all of those uh, probiotic creatures, um, eat a lot of burdock. It's quite tasty too. Um, uh, so it's used in a lot of digestive formulas. Um, it's used. Uh, you know, people are taking a lot of antibiotics. Yeah, it's good to to help build up your probiotics, um, uh, and it tastes quite delicious as well. Um, it's it's complicated to harvest uh, um, to dig up a uh, you know one or two foot root. <laughs> um, in Japan, they have these little boxes. Uh, 
little wooden boxes uh, that they grow it in, like the, um, in um, raised wooden beds, and you open the little box and you can uh, harvest the root. But in our in our garden, uh, it's just a lot of a lot of digging with a trench shovel um, to get to get the roots up. Uh, but they're very tasty um, and very medicinal and very easy to grow. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> just as, as long as you let them grow where they want to grow. Yes. And there's a lot of plants in that in that category over the years. We never know um, where they're going to pop up. Um, mugwort and evening primrose are kind of like that. Burdock is like that. I mean, uh, forage is like that. Uh, nettle was kind of like that initially. I tried it in different places and it finally found its home. Um so yeah, yeah, medicinals are, are 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 fun that way and interesting. A lot of them just don't yeah, they don't want to grow in in, in rows where you seed them. And eventually they'll get fun place. So with all of those many, many medicinals you're growing, do you on farm have any value added products you make, like salves or tinctures that you sell at the farmers market or elsewhere? Yeah, so we have uh, an herbal apothecary um, and an herbal tonic bar. Uh, so we do a lot of teas. Uh, we do um, tinctures. We do salves, um, all kinds of things. And one of the reasons that uh, I've been working with the Mendocino County Herb Guild and, and we have this project uh, of a mobile clinic apothecary uh, is because we need more opportunities to get that medicine out to more people um, in ways that are affordable um, and in ways that uh, um, do a lot of education along uh, along with it, so people become familiar as you know, sort of part of their lives. They have these these herbs that. Uh, blur the lines between uh, food and medicine oftentimes. Um, I think it's really wonderful to blur the lines. You can do a nettle pesto. You can do a nettle soup. You can um, make smoothies, green smoothies. Um, so there's, there's, there's fun and, and really wonderful ways to, to get these, these medicines um, into us that are delicious and part of our, 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 our daily meals. And um, where are you with that project with the Mendocino County Herb Guild? That sounds very cool. Yeah, well, so we've we've done uh, some some pop up uh, mobile apothecary clinics um, uh, as part of uh, the um, some of the cannabis fairs in Laytonville. There were three of those, and then every three or four months, um, the Mendocino County Herb Guild has a uh, a makers fair. Um, and, uh, so we've had our, our pop-up, um, clinic there, and then we're started, we're negotiating a project, uh, with the Episcopal Church here in, uh, in Willits on the corner of, of Commercial and Maine. Um, they do a, uh, um, uh, a dinner, um, a free dinner for people, uh, I think it's Monday through Thursday. Um, and so they had a brown bag lunch, I think, during COVID time. But now it's a, a, a dinner from four to six, um, four days a week. Uh, and so I think we're going to start um, setting up our clinic there, our pop-up clinic um, at the Episcopal Church. Um, 
so yeah, we're just exploring different, different, different um, sort of educational and um, sort of easy access ways to get to get this medicine out to people. The Mendocino County Herb Guild uh, works with this amazing organization. Uh, we're a project of this um, international organization called Herbalists Without Borders, um, and so we get uh, we get some free. Um, herbal tinctures and salves from them as well. So we can do this in a, in a you know, in a lower cost, more accessible, or even free or donation basis. Um, so, yeah, we're excited about the project. Yeah, that's um, very, that's all very interesting sounding. I'm, I'm going to start yeah. seeking out where, where you all pop up. Yeah, well, we, once we, it's, it's been a, kind of a slow process, but I think once we get a regular weekly place where we're going to be and, and, uh, um, you know, all kinds of uh, people, not just herbalists, but you know, nurses and acupuncturists and masseuses and, um, you know, could all, um, you know, have all been part of sort of the formation of this project. Um, so it's an integrative group of, of healthcare practitioners, um, uh, you know, volunteering and, and appearing once a week. And, and once we start that, I think that, that uh, you know, we'll do some outreach and publicity about. Cool, I'd love to. Have, yeah, I'd love to yeah. have some of the other um, herb guild folks on uh, for a show when that starts becoming a regular occurrence. So please let me that know. That would be great. That would be great. Let me take yeah. a second to reintroduce the show. This is the Farm and Garden Show. I'm Elizabeth Archer. I'm interviewing Sarah Gruski of Green Uprising Farm <laughs> in Willits. I'm going to open the lines if anyone has any call uh, questions about. Uh, anything we've talked about, goats, medicinal herbs, living and working on a multi-generation intentional community farm, uh, give us a call, 707-895-2448. I also want to remind folks that there is a PG&E power outage in Anderson Valley right now affecting several thousand customers, and the estimated time for restoration is 4.15 p.m. today. I will let you know if I get any more information about that. So, yeah, give us a call. If you have questions, 707-895-2448. Let's talk now about something that I'm very interested in, which are the fruit trees that you inherited on the property. Were were they on the property or did you plant them? I guess I made the assumption that they were already there, but maybe you planted them. Well, um, both of those things are true. We inherited Earl and Ruby Snook. at this farm, they came here. They were uh, from Oklahoma, uh, so post Dust Bowl. They came here uh, late 40s, early 50s, we believe. They planted a lot of apple trees, pear trees, and plum trees. Um, they uh, did a lot of dried fruit. If you talk to local people in our area, um, they had a farm stand on the a roadside farm stand, just like we did, and they 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 sold their dried fruit. Um, Ruby was also a piano teacher. Um, and uh, they were here up in, up until the mid '80s uh, when our neighbor they they became quite el- elderly couldn't you know didn't have a succession plan either. Oh, back <laughs> to that succession plan. Hey, Sarah, hang on, I'm going to pause you there for just a second because we have a call. Hi, Yay. caller, you're live on the air. Hi, I just want to let you know the power just came on for those of us who've been off. So oh, wonderful! You Thank you so much for the update. Bye-bye. 
All right. So everyone who didn't have power, congratulations. You have power again. Okay. So they left in the mid 80s. They planted a bunch of trees. You didn't come until the early 2000s. What happened to those trees? Yeah. Um, Well, so they were, you know, a decade and a half plus in disarray. Um, uh, When we got here, well, um, first, uh, Michael's daughter, Benedicta, and, and Jeff and their family were here. Uh, no one had pruned them or taken much care <laughs> during those 15 years. Um, so they were wildly overgrown, um, but still hugely productive, uh, many of them. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we've we've tried to, to do some pretty severe pruning with some of them. We've lost some of them. Uh, our water table uh, is definitely highly stressed due to, you know, drought and climate change. Um, and so, uh, you know, big, big limbs have been lost, trees have been lost, but there's still some remaining, um, especially the, we, we've lost a lot of the older apple trees, but we have maybe three, three solid ones left. But even in the last year, Oh my goodness, Elizabeth! It's it's painful to watch. Really, I have to say, you know, just these apple trees are are, are our friends. All of these trees are our friends, um, and they've made amazing apples for so many decades. But um, but but now we're pruning off great big, you know, dead branches, especially in the last two years because of, of the drought. Oh, um, that is so heartbreaking. These old, old, old trees just can't get yeah, enough water. Um, so yeah. what is going on with water? What's your water source? What just give us sort of the prognosis. I mean, obviously if you're having to uh, prune trees way, way back and, and you're losing them, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Um, we have a, a legal water diversion from Davis Creek. Uh, Davis Creek, for people who don't know, um, uh, is the city's, uh, you know, Willits Municipal Water Source. So there's uh, two reservoirs, Centennial and Morris Reservoir, um, that were built, uh, I believe, in 89. Um, so a lot of water is held up there and doesn't, you know, come down uh, to Davis Creek um you know the way it, it used to before the reservoirs and the dams were built um so that was a you know that was a big hit for for davis creek um but you know obviously uh you know city residents need water um but a big hit for the creek for the wildlife for the fish uh, for the for the trees um and we've noticed that you know we uh pump out of the creek uh um, about 180,000 gallons during the, the summer months to, to uh, irrigate our crops. Um, uh, but last year was the first year in which uh, we, by the end of June, um, we we stopped pumping because it was just too dry and yeah, there was nothing left to pump. And then <laughs> what is your option? Once, once the pumping has to stop, what's your water option? Uh, well, basically, we let uh, a lot of crops die, um, and we uh, purchased some city water um, for other crops. Uh, so do you have tanks? Do you have a small pond? Yeah, so we tried to, in 2013, uh, we tried to drill a well. We were unsuccessful in drilling a well. Um 
we had a lot of support from the community and we had a great big goat roast and we raised money and we drilled a well, uh, but it was dry. We're in a complex, complicated area geologically speaking. Um, you know, we had a lot of dowsers, a lot of people come and, you know, selected a site, uh, but we were not successful. Um, right now we're working with Trout Unlimited and um, they have a project uh, with the Mendocino County RCD um, and uh, it's something called the Forbearance Program. It's it's modeled after a program that was done in, in the Matole uh, watershed. And basically with a forbearance program, um, people uh, who live along the Matole uh, committed to not pumping in the summer months, um, but they had water tanks and they pumped up uh, during the water-rich uh, winter months. And so the project that we're working on with uh, Trouts Unlimited um, is uh, modeled after that. Uh, basically, they have uh, applied for some grants for people along Davis Creek to build uh, some ferro some very large ferro-cement tanks. So during the winter months, uh, we would fill those tanks, but we wouldn't pump during the summer months. Interesting. Um, <laughs> okay. That seems like a good plan. Yeah, it's it. it it could be a good plan, except that what we've seen like this past couple of years is that we're not getting good rains in the wintertime either. Right, right. <laughs> that, is, that is a flaw in the system, I suppose. It is a flaw in the system, climate change. Um, so we're, we're just unsure about whether that's the way to go. Uh, so we're also, you know, been um, having some dowsers and some... Uh, um, water uh, specialists come in and and see if there's other places to drill um, for a well. Uh, pond is kind of difficult just because our you know we would we'd have to have a have a pond in the middle of you know places that were either orchards or gardens or pastures for our goats or you know like there's no place that that isn't used except our lower field which is a, a flood zone so we we're not allowed to put a pond down there it's a, wait yeah. wait a minute you're not allowed to put a pond in a flood zone that seems like the perfect place for a pond yes well lots of regulatory uh, strictures don't seem to make common sense uh, we're, make that make sense am i am i missing something i'll tell you this. yeah so the rationale is if you put a pond down there you're filling an area that needs to be available for a flood, right? Um, so, so that's why you can't put a pond in a flood zone because you 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 want it to be available to be filled with water when you have a flood. Sure, but it seems like you could build in the capacity for flood. Our fifty-year flood zone hasn't flooded, yeah, I believe, since nineteen eighty-nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so then what about long-term plans, like switching to more drought-hardy crops or, you know, hopefully not throwing in the towel altogether on farming because I, that would be so sad to lose you in our community. Yeah, we don't plan to throw in the towel. We um, are, uh, we just bought a tank for uh, rainwater catchment, um, a 3,000 gallon tank for rainwater catchment. So We've got a lot of plans, but again, it's, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's hard to find time to, to do all of these things on top of everything else. So little by little, um, we're going to uh, do more rainwater catchment. Um, hopefully we'll drill for a well, maybe we'll do this forbearance program, but we're also uh, carefully watching and monitoring and trying to learn about our, our Creek um, 
because uh, uh, there's a lot of things that can be done. We're, we're, we have a, a, a creek restoration study group on our farm, um, and if other people in the community want to join, that would be great too. So, but it's we'd like to particularly invite people who uh, live along Davis Creek. Um, so, the Creek Restoration Study Group is reading a book called um, "Low Tech Process Based uh, Stream Restoration." A lot of techie words. Terrible title, but good subject. Terrible title, but great subject. But it 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 basically you know healthy healthy creeks and stream beds are full of um, logs and sticks and beavers and uh, and aren't incised. Like our creek is deeply incised, uh, um, which shows a, a lowered water table and also uh, that um, uh, it doesn't have the capacity to, um, to flood and to, you know, sort of the in, in stream restoration language, you want to you want to um, spread it and sink it. So you don't want a, a deeply incised creek. You want um, you want to have dams and beavers uh, creating all kinds of uh, um, side flows and all kinds of little dams and overflows. And um, uh, this that's that's what a healthy creek looks like for the longest time there wasn't much understanding about that and the forest service would you know see old logs and wood and and uh beaver dams and, and cleaned it up sure but actually sure. that's 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 a healthy creek a healthy creek um is is one that um, is deep and wide and 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 feeds the water table it spreads out it has little inlets and islands and side streams and piles and piles of brush and and yeah logs and all kinds of things that are decomposing and going back into um the soil so that's what a healthy creek looks like and uh and now you know there's a lot of uh even actually back in the 50s there were, there were attempts because you know during the fur trade the beaver were uh, you know practically made extinct in many places but the beaver you know the beaver hugely smart in keeping our creeks and streams healthy. Um, that's what they do by building their dams. And so there's projects that the Forest Service had even back in the 50s where they were, you know, they brought back the beavers to try to restore creeks and stream beds. Um, but there's also things that we're learning through this, but they're called beaver dam analogs, or they're called, you know, they're great with acronyms. They're called POW, <laughs> Pole Assisted Log Structures. Um, but anyway, how to create, um, you know, different kinds of, of dams that can help to spread and, and sink the water and, and rebuild our, our water table. Well, um, obviously, I'm shocked to learn that human intervention with natural systems didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> But that's cool that you're trying to bring some of that, you know, natural process back to Davis Creek. Where can folks who live along Davis Creek find your group? Uh, well, they can find us at the picnic table in front of our outdoor kitchen, usually on Mondays. Okay. Talking about these things. Um, but uh, but if you are interested in Davis Creek um, and, and creek restoration and, and uh, want to be part of our study group, um, call me, uh, Sarah Grusky at Green Uprising Farm, or Grusky, as Elizabeth says. My number is 
216-216-5549. And uh, we are really interested. Uh, the Willits um, Environmental Center is uh, um, also uh, getting involved in a, a, a larger project that's that's uh, um, doing, along with Trots Unlimited, trying to, to collect more data on uh, creek levels and on, you know, well levels um, to try to understand the relationship between our creeks and the overall water table. Um, there's just been a lot of hits in our valley, Elizabeth, over the last 100 years in terms of water from, uh, um, you know, the dynamining of Outlet Creek, which is where all, all the different creeks in the, uh, in the watershed here at Little Lake Valley go out through Outlet Creek into the um, into the eel. And that was dynamited to kind of drain um, uh, our valley, um, you know, back um, in the early uh, 1900s. Um, and then uh, and then the building of the dam uh, um, and the uh, uh, Centennial and Morris Reservoir. And then when the um, 101 uh, bypass, the Highway 101 bypass, was constructed, uh, there was wick draining of the wetlands here. That was actually the largest wetlands destruction in Northern California in 50 years. Wow. So if you think about it, I mean, but we're no different than any other place, really, because, you know, um, development, so-called, right. has done this to, to watersheds everywhere, really. Uh, but, you know, there's no doubt. And and, and Willis is more water-blessed, uh, you know, obviously than Fort Bragg or or Ukiah, or uh, Mendocino, uh, in many ways. Um, but uh, yeah, we all are going to have to struggle about. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing the good work. We are just about out of time, and I want to mention that your farm, Green Uprising Farm, is hosting a garden tour next Saturday, July 16th. It's from 10 to 2. People who participate will get to harvest herbs and make some tea, harvest greens for salad and pesto, They'll get to harvest fruits and other culinaries to infuse into goat cheese and kefir. And then at the end of the garden tour, you're all going to feast together. So anyone who's interested in going to a garden tour at Green Uprising Farm on Saturday, July 16th, you can call or text Sarah, 707-216-5549. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. This has been a really fun conversation. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.